It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you two experts. One hour. It is Tuesday, February the 20th. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today, David Novak from Wealthwise Education and Mark Morland from Team Invest. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Good to be here. On this, uh, on this Tuesday. Now, in fact, uh, we're going to get straight into it because uh, we're going to do our uh, stock of the day. Just before we do that, uh, the first half of the show, we're going to cover Ordinate, New Hope Corporation, Nickel Industries, Spark New Zealand and Atlas Arteria. But our stock of the day is NetWealth. Uh, reporting a rise in first half net profit to just over $39 million, revenue also higher and an interim dividend of 14 cents a share. Looking ahead, the company flagging expects headcount growth in the second half of fiscal 24 to be slightly below the first half. And off the back of those numbers, we are pleased to welcome NetWealth Chief Executive Matt Heiner. Matt, welcome. Thanks for joining us here on the call. Well, talk us through these numbers. Um, how pleased are you? Uh, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, we're, we're obviously really pleased with the uh, results for the first half of 24. Um, it's a it's a very different business environment to what we found ourselves in last financial year, and um, we've seen incredibly strong growth across all of our metrics, um, and importantly, seen great growth in client numbers and also the number of intermediaries that are using uh, the various products and platform technology that we offer. So revenue driven largely there by high transaction revenue. Is that uh, that's where it, your growth is? No, not, not necessarily. So we've, uh, we've been very focused over the last many years on diversifying our revenue across a, a range of different areas. So uh, the bulk of our revenue still comes from administration fees, uh, but there's no doubt that the ancillary fees that we earn on things like uh, share brokerage um, uh, have certainly supported the results this, this half. You, um, you did have a higher headcount there. Just um, how are you keeping those expenses under control at the moment? Uh, yes, we've got um, across the business and the, the different areas just shy of 600 staff now. Um, so we put on 35 headcount in the first half. And um, as we announced, uh, we expect that headcount growth to be slow, slightly lower in the second half. Uh, but the reality is that we are an incredibly fast growing business. And to make sure that we maintain that growth and um, continue to grow well into the future, uh, we do need to uh, increase headcount from time to time, as well as also make sure that we're um, putting in new staff into key positions. Uh, so uh, we feel under control um but yeah certainly something that we are watching when you say you're a fast growing business there um how are you seeing your market share growth at the moment Yes, over the last uh, six months, we've grown, uh, I believe, by about 1.1%. So currently, our total market share of the direct platform market, which is about a trillion dollars, we have um, about 7.4%. So looking forward, uh, we've got no need to go overseas. We've got plenty of runway and uh, and a huge industry to to keep tackling. Uh, I guess the question is, can you maintain these earnings at this point? 
Uh, yeah, so certainly we've got a very long track record of, uh, of sustained profits and, um, and EBIT and EBITDA margins. So um, it's really important to us that whilst we are consi uh, consistently um, investing back into the business, uh, and we have now for, for many, many years, um, that we do keep an eye on making sure that it's profitable growth. Uh, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're delivering um, you know, strong underlying uh, impact growth, uh, but also making sure that we invest for the future as well. So just about getting that balance right. You're um, in that investment management sector. You have obviously benefited, particularly in the weight of the Royal Commission, uh, to the detriment, I guess, of some of the, the bigger banks and the like. I mean, do you see that mm -hmm. continuing? And, and what's the approach, I guess, you're seeing from your, from your clients at the moment? Yes, yeah, so the Royal Commission was definitely a bit of a watershed moment for for the industry, and, and certainly it was a, a strong tailwind for for NetWealth and uh, and the specialist platforms. Uh, I think subsequent to that, the, the market has changed quite significantly, and um, what we see is sort of system systematic. Um, we see playing out for, for quite some time. So there is still a, a significant shift from I guess the incumbent platforms. There's been a lot of uh, M&A activity in the in the market, um, and so we've seen the banks uh, largely divest their, their wealth businesses um, and. And the market's going through a real period of fragmentation, uh, both at a, a licensee level, also as a, a product and platform perspective. Um, but coming through the other side, we're also seeing a lot of reconsolidation. So we're seeing uh, the emergence of sort of super groups um, starting to form. Uh, all of that and that environment is uh, is fantastic for us and, and continues to throw up significant opportunities that uh, we'll be making sure we make the most of. Yeah, can you talk? You can expand a little more on that when you talk about that M and A, the potential for consolidation yeah. there. How are you looking at that opportunity? Yeah, so it, it does happen at, at different levels from time to time. Um, so, you know, subsequent to the Royal Commission, um, a number of the, the big wealth players have sold to either private equity um, or in the case of someone like an Insignia where they are they absorbed or in the process of, of absorbing MLC. Um, and we've also seen a lot of the, the licensees. So um, in licensee land, so that is the, the licenses that um, then uh, allow financial advisors to operate. Uh, we've seen a number of uh, merchants and acquisitions in that space and uh, we saw the court approval uh, of Count uh, and the Diverger Group last week, uh, and we expect to see more of that. So as these groups get bigger and bigger, um, they inherit um, advisors that are in many cases using our platform, and that gives us great opportunities to then uh, go and speak to the broader network. So uh, consolidation, fragmentation uh, is all great for us. And the other area that we're seeing quite a lot of growth at the moment is through um, overseas capital uh, and also local capital uh, buying into financial planning businesses and, and doing roll-ups, if you like. So uh, another emergence of, of what we think will ultimately be mega groups in the market. Uh, Matt, how are your funds under management? What's uh, that level at the moment and what uh, trend are you seeing there? Uh, yeah, so just uh, to t take a step back, so we, we talk under uh, about funds under administration, uh, so that is money that comes onto the NetWealth platform, uh, and then we talk about funds under management, which is when that money then is invested into products that we manufacture. So f funds under management currently sits at about $18 billion, uh, and we've seen really good, strong growth, uh, primarily into our managed account product. So uh, the managed account product um, allows investors and advisors to effectively uh, rebalance uh, or access fund manage your IP at scale, uh, and then we look after all of the uh, the ongoing uh, rebalancing and, and maintenance of those of those individual models. So, um, so that grew uh, to uh, recently sixteen billion dollars in the managed account, uh, and also then we've got a set of managed funds which are continuing to grow as well. So, uh, really good growth across all of our products, uh, including a number that we launched uh, during the course of last year. And Matt, how are the cash balances looking there, particularly, I guess, given uh, the lure of term deposits, given where interest yeah. rates are at? 
Yeah, it's, it's been a, an interesting 12 to 18 months. So the amount of money going into term deposits, both on platform and also uh, off platform, has been pretty astounding. Um, in my 23 odd years uh, at working at NetWealth, we've never seen uh, the amount that sort of money going into them uh, ever, to be honest. Um, and so over the course of last year, we put in a range of initiatives to make it easier for advisors uh, and also clients to manage all of their fixed income on the NetWealth platform to avoid them having to, I guess, move money and and, and look for better rates elsewhere. So uh, we've added a huge number of new term deposit providers. We've added uh, small parcel bonds. Uh, we've given advice and clients the ability to negotiate advice fees where they don't necessarily have to pay them on fixed interest uh, component of their portfolio. Uh, and all of those uh, different initiatives we're starting to see uh, really play out and, um, and money moving back onto platform where it may have been taken off. Uh, but cash balances, uh, they'll, they'll move from time to time. Um, certainly as markets improve, as they have over the last couple of months, uh, we've seen money being invested, which obviously uh, reduces the cash balance and as a percentage of our, our total uh, funds under administration, it will reduce, but uh, they're, they're fairly stable at the moment. Matt, thanks so much for the update from NetWealth. Thanks for having us on the show. All right, well, let's get into some analysis, given what we've just heard and off the back of their numbers, obviously. Uh, Mark, let's uh, start with mm-hmm. you, given what you saw with the result and also what Matt just had to say. Mm-hmm. How do you look at NetWealth? Uh, well, NetWealth is a quality business. We've, we've actually um, spent some time on it and done some work on it. It passes all our filters. So from a team invest point of view, it meets all our conscious investor uh, um, ratios. The the couple of issues we have is we're concerned about the ability for them to keep growing at 17% a year, which is what their earnings have been growing at, which is great. And it's quite stable. So they've been very consistent, which is really good. But because the market is being driven by sort of a restructuring, if you like, Hub 20, uh, Hub 24, 28, <laughs> Hub 24 yeah. is also doing very well as well, which yeah. is one of their principal competitors. So the, the fragmentation of the market is really playing well to these guys. So we wonder uh, how long that can last. So that's a, now he was saying there that it's going to keep going and there's lots of opportunities. Great. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is the PE ratio. It's currently on 64 times earnings, which if the earnings start dropping off from 17 to 10 or something like that, then that's obvi- there's real capital risk issues on the share price. So quality business, uh, we like it. Uh, we don't think the moats are that strong. But we may be wrong. I mean, I, I, mm. we haven't got into a lot of detail. In other words, um, how sticky are the clients once they're in? Depending on which part of the business, of course, because there's different parts, uh, and they're all different yep. in how they how they work. Um, we're showing uh, the return. If you wanted to get a 10% on a margin of safety, which we would want as a minimum, you couldn't pay more than $13.25 for it. It's currently $17.60. And could it go down to um, thirteen Uh I'll just tell you what, what it's done in the last year. Uh, price, price, price. Uh, in the last 12 months, it's, it was $11.86 within the last 12 months. And yep. then the year before was eleven thirty-six low, and then 10 before that. So too expensive at the moment, right? but good business. I'd want to buy it, as I said, uh, about, about $12 if All I was right. going to buy it. So looking to buy... Um, potentially. Well, I'm not actually looking to buy. I'm just saying that. Well, no, but, but if, 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 if we're be, looking for a price point, it would make sense lower. to team invest members as a risk reward at about twelve or twelve fifty. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. Uh, David, then, um, how do you look at it? And I guess particularly also given its valuation at the moment, uh, where the share price has actually performed very well of, of late. Yeah. Look, I, I I endorse everything that Mark just said. I can't really add much more to that. I think um, on valuation basis, it's looking very expensive um, technically as well. 
if I look at the charts, um, if you look at the technicals, even if you go back to 2021 or, or even further back, this is what they call a, a major resistance level, selling level up here. So I'd certainly, there you go, that, that's what I'm, the level I'm talking about where it is now. And it's market driven. So if you look at that rally, it's gone from $12 to $18. So it's had a 50% rally since the October low. So it's very much driven by the market, the market sentiment. So um, I would be taking some profits up here. I certainly wouldn't buy up here. Mm. But uh, if you bought at lower levels, uh, I think it's a great opportunity to take some profits. I'd agree with that. Yep. Okay. Well, it's uh, agreement then for taking profit on net wealth given where it's run. That is our stock of the day. All right. Let's get into the stocks as picked by you. The first one being Ordinate and Connor wanting a view on uh, this one. It is the global provider of uh, professional digital audio networking technology. Um, it's uh, with a particular focus on a Dante platform, which distributes uh, digital audio and visual uh, signals on computer networks there. I had a strong uh, first half, uh, revenue and gross margins up uh, about 20% and 18% respectively there. Um, question, I guess, is what is ahead going for? Bearing in mind, the share price, as you can see there, up close to 150% over the past 12 months. So, David, would you call this expensive then? <laughs> well, look, I, I love the business. I, I really acknowledge the company. It's this Aussie company, and it's really expanding in the, this area of the um, uh, audiovisual um, area. And, uh, you know, they've had some great revenue um, increase here, 47 48%. In the first half to 30 million um, gross profit up to 21.8 million US and but the EBITDA is 10 million and profit after tax was 4.7 million for the half year um, look there you know there's no doubt the company's expanding internationally and they've got this you know and um, they're, they're making real inroads in in the tech space um, especially like I said in the audio um, technology area of their their um, AV um, Dante Media Networking Solution and Chip uh, Provider uh, as well. The problem is the valuation. I mean, you know, you're paying for a company up here at $1.7 billion that just made a net profit after tax of 4.7 for the half year. So you're paying an extremely high multiple. Um, you know, there's about seven brokers that I see cover the stock and they've got a price target average about 10% below. I still think that's too high personally. But look, I, I think with the rally this has had from the lows, you can see what it was $12 and here it is at $20. Um, I would definitely be taking some profits um, and looking to buy at much lower levels, not not up here, that's for sure. So I'd be certainly taking, looking to take some profits on this. But a great business, expanding, uh, great outlook, but really the expectation by investors and what they're, the premium they're paying is, is, is you know, extraordinary. So it's, so it's not just hmm. ordinate, it's across the board, you know, yeah. with uh, the tech sector. Yeah. All right, Mark? Uh, yeah, well, I agree with that. The PE is over 100. Mm. And now the problem with the earnings is they had a very good jump in the last year. Prior to that, it was actually pretty anemic. So they had about five years of, you know, not very, you know, quite low growth. So the, the, then what they've, they've had high PE all the way through. So there's obviously been a lot of confidence that they are, we're going to get it right and start making lots of money. But it's not a real tech stock by definition because they're selling equipment. Hmm. You know, this is more like a, 
I say JB Hi-Fi is not a retailer, but it's more like that than it is a uh, Microsoft or something. So it, there's no way you can justify that kind of price. And what that does is we're showing a negative return of 13% a year for the next five years on our safety, and our default is 1.5% a year, our return, which is you know, obviously... We don't we don't get out of bed for that kind of right. return, yeah. and and the, and the, I would argue the risk is to the downside. Now the the thing with that is what we what our conscious investors are saying is that the the maximum PE that would be realistic for this business is about thirty five. So if you, what it's doing it's giving it a terminal PE in five years, and then with its current EPS growth rate, um, it's twenty six percent, but that's over the short term. So yet to be proven. But if it maintains that over the next five years, we're showing it returning 1.6% a year, mm. but with a 35 uh, PE. That's yep. the difference. So obviously that's taking the capital value down you know, by two thirds, which is what it should be. Yep. Yeah, so there's no way. It's uninvestable. And I, I, would, uh, I think I would take the profit and sell it. If, it was, if, I was a, if I was a shareholder, I would sell it. All right, I'm okay. Gonna, you I'm guys are singing from the same hymn sheet today. Another take profit uh, on ordinary, particularly given how hard it has run and where those valuations are right now. All right, let's uh, get into the next stock. It is New Hope Corporation, um, the, uh, well, it's a diversified energy, but coal, bit of oil and gas there, uh, exploration as well. Uh, first half underlying earnings there, um, 59% decline on a year ago. Now, Tony wanted to know, He's saying the reality is we do need coal to build the new greener world, uh, particularly for steel and glass, etc. So I guess that's his uh, investment thesis for New Hope. However, Mark, what do you see there? Uh, I think it's I think it's a bargain. It's on three point nine times earnings, uh, and its EPS growth averaged thirty eight percent a year over the last six years. So admittedly, since twenty twenty one, we had a big jump in uh, thermal coal prices and so on. So there's a uh, they, they, they've benefited from that. So their net profit margin is actually jumped up um, uh, quite significantly. So they're, and they're paying out a 10.9% yield, which I think is fully franked. So it's like four, 13 or 14% yield. Uh, very uh, hard to see how there's much downside to it. Even if the um, coal prices come off mm. uh, more, they've got a, a, they're, they're a 43% return on capital and they've paid off all their debt effectively, so I think they're pretty well debt-free, and their their profit margin is, uh, where are we, earnings per share? So, okay, 2.7 billion in sales, 1.1 billion in earnings, which is spectacular, of course. And they, as I said, they pay up 42%. I, I, I think it's a, it's a buy. Well, if it's a bargain, it's, it's a bargain. A buy. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We um, don't generally like commodity companies, but, <laughs> but the thing is, it's been a, the, all the coal sector has been demonised. Yeah. And it's just it's spooked everybody for no reason. I mean, it's uh, I, I look at Glencore, which is the biggest miner in the world, and they're racing around the world buying as many coal mines as they can buy. And the reason they are is they're being sold really cheaply. BHP sold theirs really cheap. Yep. Assets really cheaply to them. And they're just going to print money for as long because there's no new coal mines coming on. That's, a, that's what you've got to remember. Normally, if coal or any energy source goes up in price significantly, it generates new competition. But that isn't happening. So it's, it's like a, you could say it's a stranded asset, but yeah. they'll sell it all. Well, <laughs> so and and that, tran- that transition to renewables is not happening overnight, as we well nah. know. All right, uh, David, do you agree? Look, I, I think it, I, it is, it looks certainly on the paper, you know, a bargain. It, the, the uncertainty, of course, is um, the coal price, you know, the thermal coal price. It's, it's fallen from, you know, uh, coal prices have fallen from $400 US tonne 
to below 200. So it's had a, a you know a marked fall, as you can see there. That's following um, the share price as well. So it really is in a, um, a what I call a sentiment hole. Now sometimes that's a bargain opportunity to buy. Um, certainly, you know they're they're. I mean, the, the return on equity, capital, and and their um, uh, dividend yield is is fantastic. Um, but again, it, it's in a it's it's in a sentiment hold. Personally, I wouldn't be um, rushing to buy this stock right now. I I think it is incredible value. Um, I would just uh, wait for the dust to settle. I I think the other, you know, I'm, it's interesting right now because if you look around the sector, the base metals, nickel is in a sentiment hold. I mean, copper. You know, the uh, zinc, I mean, it's just all across the board, except for gold. You know, that's the sector that I prefer right now. If I'm going to buy into a sector, it's the gold sector right now because I'm seeing really strong cash flows there. So it's like, you know, what which sector do you choose? And like a, like Mark said, you know, the, it is, you know, incredible value down here. But I, I, I'm i actually seeing better value in other sectors like gold right now um, than than New Hope, but I'd certainly have it on my watch list. I wouldn't be rushing to buy it right now. Yep. At oh, best, yep. Uh, best hold. Okay, at best of hold. All righty. Okay, well, let's uh, let's stay in the resources sector then. Uh, you just mentioned nickel, in fact, um, David. Uh, let's uh, go there. And uh, the next one being uh, Nickel Industries, uh, producer of, well, it's, it's Nickel Pig Iron, and that's based in Indonesia. Uh, which is used mainly in uh, produce uh, stainless steel. And um, yeah, well, as David alluded to there, nickel pig iron pricing near a record low, in fact. Uh, but uh, Peter's saying, although the price of nickel has fallen some 40% in a year and a number of local nickel miners have suspended operation, uh, Nickel Industries has recently announced increased dividend and a 100 million US dollar share buyback to be conducted over a 12 month period. What are the short term to mid term Prospects, David. Yeah, look, I I quite like this this uh, this stock in the sector. Um, you know, they're a low cost nickel producer, but like I said, the you know the nickel price has um, been um, smashed, and you know as a result of the uh, oversupply by Indonesia. Um, and um, you know, at some point, you know, there's going to be a flaw in this. Um, I think at this price level here right now, I quite like this stock. And the fact is that if you look at their balance sheet. I mean, I was um, surprised to see this, but they've got cash receivables and inventory of US $1.3 billion US. And they've got a market cap of what, about two and a half billion. So they had an EBITDA for the quarter, they just reported, you know, of 85 million US. Um, so, you know, on a relatively um, um, relative basis of price basis, it's, I mean, this is incredible, looking incredibly good value down here. So. Look, I'm going to put a buy on this. I, I think, you know, aggressively buy it, but it looks like it's got some support. They announced the share buyback as well. So they're, they're returning about $100 million to shareholders. So they've got this, um, you know, capital management initiative. And, to, you know, obviously, because the share price is where it is, um, it is looking incredibly undervalued down here, even with the nickel price being where it is. So on the chart, it looks a lot more positive um, than the coal sector right now, just this one. I mean, you know, all of these stocks like IGO, just have a look at IGO, for example, or how, how badly, you know, smashed that stock has been in the lithium and the nickel sector. So, you know, IGO is a benchmark, I think. Mm. If you start seeing a recovery in nickel, then uh, watch <coughs> what happens to IGO. But uh, look, 
I like it. I like the valuation. I don't think there's a lot of downside here. So I'm, I'm going to put a buy on it at um, Nickel Industries. Yeah. Well, I think IGO got in the hole with Western areas, didn't it? Um, just in terms of that uh, that acquisition. Um, Mark, I I know you don't weigh into this area, but I mean, how do you how do you view it then? Uh, well, I've had a look at it. It's, yeah. Uh, I th- I was. I think David's right. They do have a lot of cash on the balance sheet, and which is great, and that gives them a lot of capacity. But they also have forty three percent debt to equity, so they're doing a hundred million dollar buyback at the time where they still have quite a lot of debt as well. Which mm. I would question that. I just wonder how much of what their current plans are as far as with the uh, the buyback and the the uh, dividend is you know they want they obviously want to get investors enthusiastic about the stock so okay is that reasonable is it the best use of the money i mean we tend to like buybacks if um uh the share price is really low at the moment the share price is in the black for them so it's 14 0.5 PE of 14 and a half, which is about middle middle range for them. It's not too high, not too low. We've only got it returning about 1% a year. And the reason is the earnings have actually been largely declining, or they've declined since 2019 down to where they are now. So they haven't been going up. Hmm. And the problem is, as well, which I've mentioned lots of times, the reason team invest don't really get excited about commodity stocks is that they, uh, you don't know what the price is going to do. Yeah. So they've got plenty of headroom. I'm, 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 you're not going to lose your money. Hmm. That's for sure. So I'm I'm a a, pass. Pass. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's head across the Tasman now. George, wanting a view on Spark New Zealand, formerly uh, Telecom New Zealand, providing fixed line mobile internet services for Kiwi customers. Their mobile service revenue market share, that's improving. So I guess that's a key for the company. Mark, what's your view? Um, This is a I mean, I've, I've looked at this company before. It's come up a few times on Ausbid over the years. I think back right. on the Sky oh, yeah. <laughs> before that, and uh, it's it, it's it looks a lot better than Telstra. <laughs> if you look at it that way. Mm. Uh, having said that, uh, they've got a lot of debt. It's they've paid it down a bit. It's still ninety four percent debt to equity, which fails for us. So we we, we wouldn't look at it. Um, it's it's at the bottom of the PE ratio at the moment at eight point seven, and their EPS growth rates running at twelve point five with reasonably good stability. Now I had a look at it. There's a big jump up in earnings in uh, in twenty two, and that was because they sold um, uh, Tower Co for nine hundred million, from what I could read. So that's obviously bumped the earnings up significantly, uh, and the same time that's reduced debt to equity. Because so they've. You know, before that, their earnings were pretty flat. You know, so if I look at the 10 years prior to that, they, they in 2014, earnings were 18 cents, up to 20 cents in 2022. Mm. Like, totally flat. It's no growth at all, basically. Yep. You just about draw a line through it. So they've had this big jump up with the sale. Mm. So you can't factor that in. Right. So, if I, so, okay, that was great. You say good. And I don't know what they're doing with the money. But anyway, going forward, they go back, I would assume, to no growth again. Mm. Which is why the well, you always say no growth, twelve percent, but that is including the sale, <laughs> averaged out over six years. So I couldn't get excited about it. That's a no yeah. from you, then, David. Yeah, look, um, <clears throat> very much a same sentiment. It's um, look, it's been a fantastic uh, wealth winner for for anybody investing in this telco sector, particularly much much more than say Telstra, as you compare Telstra, Spark has been well and truly outperforming Telstra on a um, earnings and a um, and also um, you know capital growth if you look at the share price growth I mean but the, you know it's been extraordinary but now where it is it's just showing on a chart the um, 22 times earnings or 23 times earnings up here 
Um, it's had a fantastic run. I'd certainly be taking some profits. Um, if you're a long-term investor, then you'd hold. Uh, but I'd still take profits up here. I think you can buy it back. Um, if it falls back to about $4, that would be a, a level that I would be look um, if you were looking to buy. But look, it's, um, you know, on a dividend yield. Um, what's the dividend yield? I was just uh, having a quick look to see what that is. You know, it's about, um, you know, 5% unfranked. It's okay. Um, it, I would not be, yeah, I wouldn't be chasing the stock up here. I'd be certainly taking profits and holding at best. And, uh, you know, it's had a good run. And, um, yeah, I can't see where you could justify the, the earnings multiple up here to continue buying it up here, that's for sure. All right, that is the view on Spark New Zealand. Now, uh, more globally, I guess, uh, we're getting into toll roads. Atlas Arteria, uh, owner, operator of Atlas, uh, and developer of uh, of toll roads uh, revenue there for the December quarter was up six percent. Um, interestingly, European traffic uh, was up uh, around seven percent, whereas in the oh no, uh, close to three percent. US traffic was down fourteen percent. Bit of a hole there. David, tell us about Atlas Arteria. Well, look, it's an infrastructure play, isn't it? You know, right, toll roads, as you said, most of their earnings comes from um, the French toll roads is where they're getting most of their uh, their revenue income, net income. They've got some in, you know, the US as well. Um, you know, there's um, the Chicago Skyway Tunnel, the Warno Tunnel. And um, but look, I can't I can't get excited about this. It's it's on a very small. Uh, well, look, it's on a pretty good. Actually, unfranked yield, 7 percent is pretty good. However, I don't see the growth here. It's just steady as she goes. There's also some changes, I think, legislative changes happening in the, in France in terms of uh, taxing toll roads and, and, and providers of toll roads. So that's an uncertainty for me at the moment. And it's showing on, on the share price. It's uh, The share price is under a little bit of pressure here. It's, it's starting to break. Well, it is breaking down. So I wouldn't be, for that reason alone, on the trend, I wouldn't be buying this stock. Um, in fact, I'd probably be a seller to tell you the truth right now. This is a, the trend is not your friend. I don't see the growth here, and also with rising bond yields, that's also going to have an impact on valuations of these kind of infrastructure mm. uh, companies as well. Stocks. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mark, uh, we don't like them at all uh, generally, and of course, as David mentioned, the uh, French government, and you might you may remember Ramsey got screwed over pretty heavily by the French government <laughs> during. You know, what and are you they saying? don't don't trust the Frenchies. Hmm? Don't trust the Frenchies. Well, I think I don't think they really uh, do feel that concerned about alien uh, listed companies operating in the French territories. I think that's what it is. Yeah, right. You know, they might be nicer to their local players, but for Australians, eh, I don't think so. And don't forget, we cancelled the submarines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I know that was a big hit. Uh, it's on a thirty-one PE, which is at the bottom of the green for them. So this is a a lot of these uh, like toll road uh, operators have very high PEs, uh, which. I don't think it's sustainable either. The return on equity is 3.5, which is woeful, and return on capital is 2.8. So it just totally fails. The other problem is they pay out more than they earn because they use their debt and so on. So it's just the way that all the accounting works. I don't know how you actually get your head around it. Mm. Um, You look at the payout ratio last year is currently 189% of earnings. Which I'm showing it as a six percent yield, but that's like so they're paying out 190 percent of what they bring in as earnings, which means the only place that could come from is a debt. Yeah. Which how does that? I don't I don't get the sustainability mm. of all this. Mm. So it's too hard for me above my pay grade. In other words, it's a big no. 
Okay, let's uh, round out the first half of the show then. We began, our stock of the day was Net Wealth. We did hear from the company themselves, uh, Matt Heiner. And, um, well, Mark's saying it's quality business. Um, question whether they can uh, maintain that, uh, that earnings growth at this point. Uh, he's got, well, essentially, you say, if you're looking to buy, you want to do so, certainly at a lower price. It's too expensive at the moment. David of a similar view, really, saying take some profit now, but uh, has been impressed by the business and its growth to date. Those stocks, as picked by you, are Ordinate. Um, well, that has certainly run hard in its, uh, in its uh, share price recently. Um, so David questioned the valuation there, saying you're paying extremely high multiple. Uh, once again, taking some profits. And um, uh, Mark uh, saying, yeah, look, uh, with, a, with a PE of 100 plus, uh, is saying more realistically, it's a PE of 35. So um, that's uh, Mark's view on ordinate. New Hope in coal. Mark calling it a bargain. Uh, can't see much downside at this point. So he has a buy on it. Similarly, David also saying it is a bargain, but... Uh, wary that the thermal coal price has continued to fall um, and he's in, it's in what he calls a sentiment hole. Uh, therefore, he would avoid it at this point. He'd, he'd wait to see whether it has further to fall at this point. Uh, nickel Industries, uh, similarly, given where the nickel price has gone, it's obviously been under extreme pressure. Uh, David, though, likes it at this price level, seeing good value here, uh, so he's got a buy on it, uh, whereas uh, Mark's no, not interested, also wary of a buyback, given where it is at the moment. Spark New Zealand, um, yeah, look, interesting that both said, well, it's certainly better than Telstra. I don't know whether that's a positive or not, <laughs> uh, but a no from Mark, and David's likely to take some profit on it, and Atlas Sartiri there to round it out, a sell from David. Mark is not interested. All right, let's uh, take a look at our own uh, high conviction portfolio, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. Checking in on the update into February, Challenger was sold, Santos added, uh, weddings of CSL and Macquarie were reduced and added to AUB and Karoon Energy instead. Checking in on its performance and to date up uh, 24.5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception in March 2022. So keep your requests coming in. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Next half of the show, we're going to take a look at Argo Investments, Flight Centre, Premier Investments, Bank of Queensland and Arcadium Lithium. So let's begin with Argo Investments. Ronnie, what are your view on this is? actively manages a diversified Australian equity portfolio. Mark, what can you tell us? Um, Argo's been around for a long time. I think it used to do better than it's done in the last uh, uh, decade. I can't, you know, just going on memory. Uh, but at the moment, it's been it's pretty ordinary. I, I think their their results are pretty mediocre. They're, they've averaged about 4.5% on uh, return on capital. And we're showing it returning 1% on safety and 6% on default over the next five years. It's on a 25 PE, which is high considering their EPS growth rate, which has been pretty flat, is 2.2% average over the last six years. But don't forget, we've had inflation of five or 6%. Mm. You know, so, th- so these companies aren't even keeping up with inflation. Mm. So, uh, and then you're still paying, even though it's in the bottom quartile of the PE, that's still 25 times earnings, which is ridiculous for 2% EPS growth. Uh, that's, they're returning 3.7% yield, I guess, Frank, not sure. But it's pretty ordinary. It's mediocre. I wouldn't touch it. All right. And if I had it, I'd sell it because it's an opportunity cost. You can put the money to uh, uh, better use than where it is at the moment. 
Yep, fair enough. David? Yeah, look, um, my sentiments exactly as Mark's. I, I just, I, I don't know why you'd want to put invest in this. I mean, they're, they're highly diversified. They've got the, you know, the top 20 companies in their portfolio. I um, mean, you know, they're, they're not shooting the lights out. I mean, in their half yearly um, result from reported on the 5th of February, you know, they had a profit of 125 million earnings per share of 16 and a half cents. So they're trading on a really high multiple. Their, their net uh, profit after, you know, tax was 5.6% return, but that's compared to the ASX 200 accumulation index return 7.6%. So that was higher. The ASX accumulation index was higher than their performance. Um, you know, and then you look at the fees, there's not much of a discount. If there was a bigger discount to the NTA, then I, I'd, I'd be a little bit more interested, but there's not. So, you know, when you look at LICs, listed investment companies like this is, um, you know, you, there are some good ones out there, but, you know, you really are dependent on, you know, their, how proactive they are and the returns they're getting. I don't see it here. I just don't see the performance here at all. Um, so I'd be like Mark, I'd be a, a seller of this. I, I just... I can't see the reason to be there. I think there's better LICs around, um, or you can just, you know, better ways of managing your money than um, putting it into this. But uh, for someone, you know, if you look at the share price performance, it's been like flatline for the last couple of years. It's been trading between $8 and $8.50 and paying about a 3.5% fully franked yield. Um, I'm sure you can do better than that, you know, in the markets. Yeah, well, that's so the market's to point too. Uh, why not then sell it, get out, uh, and invest in something more worthy, as you say. All right, uh, let's move on then. See whether perhaps this is one you can get into. It is Flight Center. Um, Larry, wanting your view on this. Uh, it was guiding uh, FY24 underlying earnings of between 450 500 million, uh, targeting 2% profit in FY25. Of course, we've seen the turnaround uh, post COVID, which is now dissipated uh what's next for the company david um yeah look I, i'm not excited about the numbers uh, you know they have had a turnaround obviously since um post covid and um but i just looking at their numbers here looks terrible uh in terms of the yield um you know they're they're you know if you even like their profit forecast like you said it's like 290 to 310 million on a market cap of 4.7 billion um, you know, with um, a dividend yield of less than 1%. Um, oh, geez, I could find much better plays in the market than this. I mean, look, the trend is moving up. It's, it looks good on the chart. Um, if you bought it at lower levels, you can hold it. Uh, personally, I, I wouldn't. I'd be taking, I'd be selling myself. I think there's better places to invest right now. Uh, but there is a, what they call a resistance level up here around $22. So that's a selling level. Last time I got down to here, it, the, the stock dropped back to 18. So I'd certainly be, I wouldn't be buying it, that's for sure. Um, and I'd be taking profits and I think there's better places to invest. But, you know, travel has picked up, of course. Hmm. Um, but, uh, so, you know, in the travel industry, you've always got, um, you know, you're open to any kind of, you know, who knows, oil price shocks, terrors. You know, there's all sorts of things can impact the travel sector. So it's a, it's a little bit too risky for me to be buying Flight Centre up here. So are you, what similarly, would you be avoiding the uh, likes of WebJet, corporate travel? No interest there? Yeah. Yeah, look, WebJet, I'd probably be more in favour of than Flight Centre. Um, but I wouldn't, look, at this, I would not be chasing 
investing in the sector right now. There's other sectors I prefer. Mm, okay, Mark. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, Screw Turner was a, a fabulous founder CEO, and uh, Flight Center was m- motoring along quite comfortably. Not as, it wasn't shooting the lights out or anything, but it was a very solid business. Mm. So as long as you paid the right price for it, you, get a, you could have got a decent return. COVID was a you know, let's call it a black, a black swan. Mm. And what was interesting is the two we used to like travel. We used to be invested in Flight Center pre-COVID and corporate travel. Yep. And it's interesting how they've both come out of it. Now, Flight Center issued, they eventually doubled the number of shares outstanding because they had to close a lot of branches, uh, get rid of a lot of people. So they had mm. a lot more costs than uh, corporate travel did, which was more of a low footprint business uh, clientele. So they didn't have the same overheads that Flight Center had. Therefore, they didn't need to raise any money. Now, they did raise some money eventually during COVID because they made a couple of very smart acquisitions. So they did, for the money they raised, they doubled the size of the business. Flight Center has doubled the size of their shareholding, the value of the shares, which means the earnings per share have to be double what they were pre-COVID. Oh, sorry, they have to be the same, but the actual earnings have to double to be able to make uh, uh, the the uh, the numbers be equivalent to pre-COVID. So just give you a couple of numbers. Flight Center was on two, $2.51 earnings per share going into COVID, and this they're currently on $0.22. Cents. So that's about 10% of uh, recovery. Now, the recovery is, is a clear line going up. They've gone from loss, 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 first profit, and that will get better. I have no question about it, yeah. but it's going to take time. You compare that to corporate travel, Corporate travel went into COVID at um, 77 cents per share earnings, and they're now 56. So they're 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 very close to being what they were pre-COVID, and then they're going to keep growing faster. So their their recovery post-COVID has been way 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 mm. better than uh, Flight Center. I suspect Flight Center on a five or ten year horizon will be good, um, but I wouldn't buy them now. And I would if I had money, I'd rather have it in, in uh, corporate travel. So sell it and buy corporate travel. Well, you could do that, yeah. The other thing, uh, just to, where I disagree with David on this is when he said about the airline industry being terrible, I agree, we wouldn't buy airlines. <laughs> They're the ones that suffer the fuel costs and government interventions and stuff. We see the travel industry as being very much like uh, picks and shovel suppliers in mining. You know, they're getting a commission on transactions or managing services, like in the case of corporate travel and flight centre, yep. for business. By the way, corporate travel and flight centre, both of them are in the top 10 in the world. Did you know that? No, I did not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they're, they're very large players on it. It's a very fragmented industry, yeah. which means there's also lots of room still. All right, but, but to your point, by the service side, not yeah, yeah, the capital intensive side. Because they don't yeah. care about fuel prices. <laughs> you know, they, get a, they get commissions and fees. Yep. Yep. Okay, that is a flight centre, though. It's, uh, well, it's grounded as far as our two experts are concerned. Uh, let's move on to premium investments in the retail space. Uh, it operates uh, some of those specialty brands, including Peter Alexander, Just Jeans, Portman's, and um, Smiggle, which it's taken, uh, well, trying to take globally, in fact. Um, just interesting to see what's going on in retail at the moment with some outperformers and also some underperformers. You only have to look at recent results, JB Hi-Fi, Nick Scarly, and the like. Um, however, and also some e-commerce platforms having outperformed physical stores of late as well. So yeah, Mark, on that basis, interested to get your view on uh, Premier, which um, you know has obviously been impressive, how it's performed. Uh, uh, Sully Lou uh, is a good operator. Yep. <clears throat> no, there's no question about it. And uh, we've done extremely well in Team Invest on uh, travel uh, on uh, on retail. You know, for the last five years, 
I've been the only one I've, that I've heard on the show who's been pro-retail all the way through. Everyone's going, oh, it's going to be a recession, and mm. it's all been BS. So uh, Nick Scarley, JB Hi-Fi uh, have all done well over 20% compound returns. Plus, we've, yeah, we've done really, really well. So uh, even on the last uh, report on JB, the share price jumped up dramatically. Yeah. So did Pip, so did uh, Nick Scarley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, Premier looks very good. It's a bit more expensive. It's on a P of 17 compared to the JBs of the world and the other good retailers are around 10, 12. You know, so you're paying a premium. Um, if you look at the earnings, uh, their earnings have averaged, uh, we're showing the earnings at 24.5% per year over the last six years, growth, which is really good. And that's better than JB Hi-Fi. So you could argue then maybe they are, they are worth a bit of a higher PE. Mm. Uh, sales have grown at 6.6% with 97% stability. So what that means is that um, Premier Investments have been very, very good at uh, bottom line, uh, so revenue growth at 6.6, but their profits been growing at 24. So what that means is they're extracting greater and greater profits out of their uh, network, which is great. Yep. So as operators, they're fantastic. Um, debt-wise, they've got uh, 28% debt. That would uh, be nearly all leases, uh, I would bet. And their return on equity is 15 and very, and very stable, which has been growing over the last few years. It's all good. So I would say, I was going to say it's a hold, but um, it's probably a buy, actually. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do you own it? No. It's not in your portfolio. No. Right. But no, some of those, some well, of those other bo- retailers are. Put it this way. It's in the bottom of the red of the PE. So yeah. the, the green is 13.7 times. So I can tell you how much that would be. So I would say if you can buy it um, at... Uh, 25.72, that would give you a 10% return on a margin of safety, which probably means you'll get 20%. Yep. You know, 10's at, that's our really conservative numbers. And so it's not that far off it, actually. But mm. $3, can you get, will that come off easily? Easily do that. So there's probably no panic to buy it. Yep. Okay, no rush, but a buy. Yep. David. Yeah, look, um, yeah, that's interesting. It's a great managed business, and Solomon Lewis, you know, he's been there forever. He's he's a, he's masterful in this area, that's for sure. Um, he's got a great proven track record. Um, the the thing I'm a little bit um, uh, cautious about is the retail sector. It's it's had a good run here, uh, the whole across the board. I mean, it's been Nick Scarley and all these other companies and Harvey Norman. I mean, it's been. Quite extraordinary. I think it surprised a lot of analysts out there. Oh, well, not Mark. Quite... No, not us, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm just saying for most, the majority of analysts out there, but, uh, I think are surprised by, you know, with the increase in, um, you know, cost of living and, and, and interest rates, um, there would be a, you know, the whole sector, the retail sector would be slowing down, but that's not the case. Um, so, you know, there's obviously still a lot of discretionary spending out there. I'm a little bit cautious going forward. There's a lot of things I'm seeing in the macro picture that I'm just um, I'm not ready to jump in and buy retail right now. But if you bought it, you'd hold it. I think it's worth just holding. It's uh, the trend is strong, but their profit result was great. Plus, you know they've got um, 26%, just under 26% of Breville, which is worth a valuation now of about a billion dollars mm, for. Um, and and also Maya, you know, mm. Um, mm. at 150. Yeah. So you know. They've got those two assets which are performing well. So, um, you know, that as well is, uh, and their balance sheet is strong. They've got about $480 million in cash. So, they, you know, the liquid assets are, are very strong. So, um, I would just be a hold. I wouldn't be chasing the buyer up here, but if you've got it, um, hold. 
the, the yield is good, so st stick with the trend. All right. That's uh, largely positive then on Premier. Um, but so, David, what would your favoured retailer be? Although you just said you're cautious of the whole sector right now. Oh, well, look, you, you know, you'd have to have, not right now, but JB Hi-Fi. Have a look at JB Hi-Fi. But they've done in their share price. Um, they've just like gone ballistic. It's almost like a tech stock. So I'd certainly be taking profits of JB Hi-Fi. But, you know, you've got to say that the best performing stock has to be JB Hi-Fi. Um, and, um, you know, then down the track, you know, companies like Nick Scully and even Harvey Norman have all been shooting the lights out. But, you know, um, I, I would, uh, again, um, not be chasing the sector and I'd be taking profits and uh, certainly JB Hi-Fi. But if you had to pick one, um, JB Hi-Fi would be the one, mm. uh, but at much lower price level, that's for sure. All right. Okay. That's the view on premium investments, right? Let's get into the banking sector with uh, Bank of Queensland and uh, Henry wanting a view. Oh, sorry, not uh, Henry. This, in fact, one is picked by Becker. Um, now, of course, Amy. That... Amy. Oh, was it Amy? There you go. By the way, we're doing Bank of Queensland. There you go. Uh, look, soft net interest margins, increase in loan losses in the short term. Um, so obviously some headwinds there. Uh, it's looking to invest more in its business banking and it's growing its non-interest income, uh, reducing its reliance on mortgages. David, how do you rate Bank of Queensland? And I guess, you know, in, in, compared with some of the its competitors and maybe some of the larger ones too. Yeah, look, they're, you know, it's like the um, Bendigo, Adelaide Bank, you know, same thing at the, the regionals. Um, they're competing on the cost of funds with the four majors. And I think that's why CBA is getting such a big premium because of their, their funding cost is lower than the regionals. And that's what they're, you know, that you look at Bank of Queensland, you go, oh, wow, you know, it's like paying um, on yield. It's, it's just under 7% fully franked, um, you know, eight times earnings from what I can see here. You know, you'd say, oh, wow, that's cheap, you know. However, they are being squeezed in the market. There's a lot of competition, um, like I said, from the four majors, and the trend is not your friend right now. That's the other thing. I wouldn't be buying Bank of Queensland because the trend is is negative. And for that reason alone, it's completely opposite to the four majors. And you, and I'm seeing it also, you know, the chart, it's starting to break down. So, Look, I would not be chasing that. They'll be reporting at the end of this month, and um, it'd be interesting to see what they, what the comments they've got. But I would be a um, right now. I would be, um, I would be a holder of this stock. I think, um, given the trend, I would be selling, and uh, waiting for their update or their report coming up uh, at the end of this month. But look, they're facing headwind competition from the majors, and, mm. and especially around their funding costs and and their net interest margin as well. Yep, all right, so a sell from you, Mark. I, I agree, yep. it's definitely a sell. It's, a, it's been a mediocre business for a long time, mm. and the only, the only bright part, spot is the dividend. But if you look at their return on equity, it's running at 5.6%. It, um, it used to be back in the good old days about 10, <laughs> which was our minimum, yep. uh, back in 16, 17, and then it dropped during COVID and it stayed down. And the long term, what that means is we always look at return on equity as being like a speed limit on what your return you can get for the businesses. If a business is only making 5.6 on the capital deployed in the business, they can either pay a dividend or they can reinvest in the business. But on an equivalent PE over time, you can't earn more than what their return on equity is. So if they, in other words, what I'm saying is 
their, their sustainability of that 7% yield, I don't think is viable unless the business improves. Uh-huh. And that's a question. Uh, or alternatively, the share price will go down. So, and what conscious investors are assuming is that's what's going to happen. It's currently on a 14 PE, which is high for a negative 8% average growth rate over the last six years of earnings. And earnings are going backwards. Sales are going down at 2.7%. Uh, also negative. Um, we're showing a returning negative 2.7% a year uh, over the next five years, including the dividend. So in other words, you're going to take, if we're right, you're going to take a pretty big capital hit. So don't get too comfortable about the dividend. Now, people do that. They used to do that with Telstra. Yep. Go, oh, but it pays a really good dividend. You go, well, if the share price goes down over time, you're losing, you know, the capital value is going down. You've got to look at the whole thing. All right, that is a double sell then on Bank of Queensland. So a broadly negative outlook for the bank, the regional bank. Let's round out the show with Arcadium Lithium. And uh, well, this is uh, what was born out of the merger between Orchem and Levent. Uh, in fact, it's the only Aussie lithium producer with a major brine exposure, at least at scale, and uh, also potential also in, in hard rock and brine. Uh, so it's got the double there. Um, with downstream processing, uh, processing capabilities at the same time. Uh, then, of course, you've got to factor in what's going on with the lithium price itself. Mark, what's your view? Uh, I've never looked at it before. For some reason, it doesn't come up, come up on our, um, our filter screens, which is not helpful. So I looked at their website and so on. It's very rah-rah. But they, they, their slogan is, we are charging ahead and leading the charge together. That's what they said they do. That's their mission statement. Yeah. Right. Okay. And well, they were really yeah. selling lithium, basically, going how it's going to change the world, and they're you know they're they're right part of it, and they're you know it's like it's like evangelical stuff. Anyway, I was trying to find the numbers. So that's an immediate alarm. Well, it's bell immediately. For you. Well, yeah, you know, it sounds BS you know, to me. Right. But look, they they are quite a big business. They've got um, brine, as you said, in South America. Yeah. And they've got. Two mines in Western Australia. They've got a map showing where they are. Like China, they say they do everything, and uh, the whole process, which I assume means lithium hydroxide as well. Um, what I did find was well, they're dual listed on New York Stock Exchange and Australia. They're reporting in two days for their fourth their mm. four, fourth quarter uh, results. So that's on Thursday. So or tomorrow? No, two, yeah, Thursday. Sorry. Uh, what else? Uh, they're, and they're based in Jersey which is tax saving, of course, and then their office base is in Ireland. So a little bit out there for me. Yep. But too complicated. I started reading it. It's like it would take me a couple of hours to even get my head around it all. So right. Um, I didn't but but do you it. don't buy a lithium story anyway, do you? Well, the only company we have that is in lithium is Mineral Resources, yep. which right. is our outlier in that it's, it's uh, we generally don't like mining companies. So Min's, but we, we invested in Min years ago when it was a mining services company only. Yep. Now it's a mining services company and a major miner of iron and, uh, and lithium and soon to be gas. Which has disappointed you? Well, no, no, it's not just. It has in that it's. It, we wouldn't buy it now. Like if we were, if we were, if we were freshly looking at mineral resources because of the long-term relationship, yep. and because it's been such a winner for us, <laughs> it's done about yep. fifteen times uh, for us. So it's been br- a brilliant uh, wealth winner. But it has shifted outside our parameters, so it's an exception to the rule. Yep. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not d- looking for them. <laughs> no. Well, clearly, yeah. um, um, David Arcadian then. Um, and interested to get your view, given obviously it, it was the result of all chem tying up with with Levent. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, if you're going to pick a stock in the lithium sector, this would be the one in in my book. Um, I would, this would be my number one choice. Um, whether you'd go and buy it today, I I, I would sort of um, I'd 
wait until we get because this merger's just happened. So That's you know you've got to wait. You know um, you've got to wait to see yeah evidence of you know the synergies, the benefit of the uh, you know cost synergies, the continued you know free cash flow generation and potential pickup, especially in lithium prices. But you know there's been a lot of um, M and A in this in this space in terms of you know when when Alchem you know merged they they had Galaxy and Oracobra and now with Livent and mm. you know they're also dual listed on the New York Stock Exchange as well. So any pickup in um, you know EV sales or lithium, especially lithium prices, um, this will certainly be highly beneficial. And they've got really two great operations here in uh, Western Australia, Mount Catlin and Argentina as well. So um, I, I look, I would be a holder. If you've got the stock, I would be selling. I definitely would not be selling, but I'd be waiting for an update uh, with the, the merger, post-merger, yep. to see those synergies yep. and cost-benefits um, come through. All right, and, but, but and, definitely well, you're, you're picking that over Pilbara then because it's diversity. Uh, well, there's a lot of shorts in Pilbara. Yeah, well, so, yes. you know, if there's, if there's any pickup, um, I can see the trend starting to move back up in Pilbara. So... Things can, you know, Pilbara can jump very sharply when the shorts start covering. But uh, yeah, look, out of these two, but I, I'd still go with this one. This would be my number one pick in the lithium sector. Okay, fair enough. That's your call. Right, let's uh, sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. Then Argo Investments, well, yeah, a broad negative, a sell from both uh, the uh, uh, the uh, equity uh, manager there. Uh, Flight Centre, um, well, David's saying the number's looking terrible, so therefore he has a sell on it. Um, similarly, also, Mark, a sell on it too. Uh, certainly would prefer a business such as uh, corporate travel. Um, Premier Investments, uh, Mark's got a buy on it, uh, but perhaps at a lower price. What, $25.70 thereabouts, you think you were saying? Um, they're saying it is expensive compared to the others, but um, certainly has impressive earnings. Uh, David, though, saying, look, he has been surprised that there's still so much discretionary spending out there. People are still spending. Um, and also notes the positives given it's holding in both Breville and Meyer. Also, he's got a hold on the stock. And uh, Bank of Queensland, once again, broadly negative, a sell from both. And finally, Arcadium Lithium, that tie-up between Orchem and Lament. Uh, no, uh, Mark's not interested. Um, the only play he's sort of prepared to go for in that space is mineral resources. And David, he's got a hold on it. It is number one pick if you need to get into lithium at this point. All right, thanks to our guests. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us in team. Oh, guest. That was fabulous. Thank you. David, oh, thank you for joining us from Wealthwise thank Education. Yeah. Good one. All right. Thank you. And that is our show. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to wildsbiz.co forward slash callpix or write to us on X, that platform that was Twitter. Stay with us. More to come. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.